And good evening. <laughs> Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM, Spotify, and some of these other platforms we do Sunshine USA on. It is great to have you tuned in, regardless of when you listen. Uh, I say evening because usually it's between um, about 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night here in Greenville, South Carolina when we record this program. But uh, we know that this program is heard at all different times of the day and night and everything in between. So whenever you listen, uh, that is a good time to listen and to study the Word of God. Amen. Uh, well, we're involved right now in a series of Bible studies on uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, I think tonight is our third or fourth broadcast in this series. In particular, we're going to be in, um, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 to be exact. We've already done commentary now on the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And just as a matter of review, which typically my policy is, uh, we find that Corinth is a city well known for its lack of morals and ethics. It's known as a sin city. That would put it on par with cities like New Orleans and Las Vegas here in the United States of America. Um, but also it was a merchant city. Uh, merchants converged on Corinth from all over the world. It was a port city, and therefore there were all kinds of people present in Corinth. And there is that sense in which if you had an effective ministry in Corinth, you had a ministry that was literally reaching all kinds of people from all over the world. Amen? Amen. And so that is something to think about as we go into this fourth chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, one other thing I want to point out by way of introduction or review is the fact that the secular world of that day had crept into the church. A lot of the worldly things that were going on in the world were also going on in the church. So that's another thing to think about. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, which is where we're beginning our study this evening, it says, So then, Paul said, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Let's talk about that first, servants of Christ. Now, this is a stark contrast to the way that many television preachers see themselves today. Today, we have many TV preachers who see themselves as being uh, entertainers. They see themselves as being TV stars and radio stars and such, and it's a, it's a bad thing. You know, but in reality, we as Christians need to know that God says we are servants of Jesus Christ. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We are to serve God. That is the essence of our calling as Christians. We are to find all kinds of ways in which to serve the Lord. Um. Uh, we shouldn't see ourselves as anybody important or anybody prominent or famous 
but we should see ourselves as servants of the Lord. You know, one of the things that um, Jesus did to show just how humble he was, he washed the feet of his disciples. He washed the feet of his disciples. And he did that because he was a humble spirit. He had a spirit of humility, a spirit of servanthood. And that is what made Jesus so great. Now, of course, on top of that, he was the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Now, he says, We're not only looked upon as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. You know, when God called you into the ministry, God called you to be a steward of the mysteries of God. He called you to be a steward of the gospel. And the gospel has been entrusted to you to carry on to this generation. Just like Christians in previous generations witnessed to us and led us to the Lord, <clears throat> we need to follow that example. We need to witness to others today and lead them to the Lord so that they can lead their kids and grandkids to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we have been made stewards of the mysteries of God. Now Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Now it is required of stewards, which we are, that they be found faithful. Now that's something interesting, that they be found faithful. Uh, you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, God has not called you and me to be successful in the worldly sense of the word. You know, now if I could say, well, guess what? My ministry reaches a thousand people a day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A thousand people a day pray and receive Christ as Savior. Now, if I were to announce results like that, you would probably say, man, Warren, you're successful. And then if I showed you this million-dollar house that I lived in because of the fine salary I make as a preacher, you'd say, wow, Warren, you've been really successful. But we have to understand that in the eyes of the world, what the world considers successful, that's not what God has called us to be. God instead has called you and I to be found faithful. Not necessarily successful, but faithful. Now ultimately, I believe that for the most part, you're going to be successful if you are faithful. But that's the key right there. You have to be found faithfully serving Jesus Christ, faithfully doing the work that the Lord God himself has put you on this earth to do. Paul goes on to say, I care very little, however, if I am judged by you or by any human court. Now, that's a pretty interesting statement for Paul to make because of the fact we know that Paul knew what it was to be arrested. Paul knew what it was to be prosecuted. He knew what it was to be locked up in jail for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
But he says, I care very little, however, if I am judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not vindicate me. It is the Lord who judges me. And of course, that's true of me also. The Lord judges me. The Lord will judge you. The Lord judges all of us. And that is something so important for us to keep in mind. Uh, I have to know, for example, that God will hold me accountable for every sermon I preach. For every Bible study that I teach on the Internet, God's going to hold me accountable. And I have to realize that. One day I'm going to be judged for that. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Just judge nothing before the appointed time. In other words, one of the things that God is telling us here is that when we judge someone, we need to make sure that you and I have all the facts. That's why the Bible says we need to judge righteous judgment. We need to make sure that we have all the facts. It is so sad to see how many lives are ruined because someone was judged by some Christian who meant well but did not have all the facts. And that's why I'm glad God has not called me to be a judge. God has not called me to be a scorekeeper because I don't have all the facts. Instead, Paul says, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of men's heart. Now, you see, this indicates to us that God is not so much concerned with what we do as he is why we do what we do. What is your motive? As some people would say today, what is your angle in all this? Paul says at that time, each will receive his praise from God or in some cases, condemnation from God. Then he goes on in verse 6 to say, Brothers, now when he uses this word brothers here, it's just to remind us that Paul here is talking to believers. He's talking to Christians, not unbelievers. He says, Brothers, I have applied... These things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written. Not to go beyond what is written. Now, <laughs> that's what the Pharisees were so famous for doing. The Pharisees would not only teach the law, they would add to the law and teach that. You know, for example, you take in the New Testament, they had this thing called a Sabbath day's journey. Uh, Hebrew believers were not allowed 
to walk more than a certain distance on the Sabbath day. Now, the reason for that, they maintained, was that if you walk too much on the Sabbath day, your feet would grow tired, your feet would start dragging the ground. Technically, that would be plowing, which would be work, which is prohibited on the Sabbath. And so when Jewish people went to the synagogue in those days, they had to go to a synagogue that was not more than a certain distance from their home because that's all that they could walk on the Sabbath day. Now, I think sometime I'm going to look that up and find out exactly what that distance was. But I'm not going to do it tonight. If I did it tonight on my smartphone, I might lose my internet connection and would be off the air. So I'm not going to try it tonight. But I might try that next time just uh, as a follow-up on this Bible study here. Now he says, Brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us and not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? <laughs> you know, Paul had a way with words, didn't he? He knew how to get his point across. He said, you know, we shouldn't consider ourselves superior one to another. You know? <laughs> I remember one time I was in college, and about once a semester, those of us who were ministerial students, we were given an opportunity to preach in various churches across the state of Mississippi. Now, we had this one young man. He was a student, a ministerial student. And he said, I'll tell you what, he says, by the time I get finished with college and seminary, my first church is going to have 10,000 members. And I'm going to be doing so much better than the average student that I'm going to college and seminary with. Now, you know what the rest of us were thinking? <laughs> the rest of us were thinking, you know, this guy is pretty hung up on himself. And we were also thinking, you know, this guy is probably going to end up in disillusionment. I had a professor tell one of my seminary classes, he said, Young men, those of you who are going into ministry, he said, let me tell you something. He said, the first church that you pastor, you know what? He said, it's probably going to have only about 30 or 40 members, maybe less. But he said, I'll tell you what you need to do if you want to be successful. You need to pastor that church as though you're going to be there for your entire ministry. Now chances are God's not going to call you to do that. Chances are God will eventually lead you to a bigger and better place of service. But first of all, God wants to make sure that he finds you faithful where you currently are. And if you're not, why should he put you in an even bigger place knowing that you are even less likely to be faithful there. Paul goes on to say, Already 
you have what you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. How I wish you really were kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has displayed us apostles at the end of the procession like prisoners appointed to death. He says, we have become a spectacle to the whole world, to angels as well as to men. Now, Paul knew what it was to be a prisoner. And Paul certainly knew toward the end of his life, he knew what it was to be on death row. He goes on to say, we are fools for Christ, but you were wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You were honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are verified, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we, we answer gently. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Mm. What a testimony. He says, folks, to this hour, we are hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated, homeless. I mean, Paul knew what it was to have it rough. That's also why Paul later said in his ministry, he said, you know what? He says, I have learned how in my life to be content in whatever stage of life I find myself to be in. He says, if I... If I have money, I'm content. If I'm penniless, I'm content. If I'm persecuted, I'm content. Notice what Paul says here. When we are slandered, we answer gently. What an example for us. Now, you know, when people slander us, when people say all manner of evil things against us, when they accuse us of terrible things, you know what our tendency is, don't you? Oh yeah, you know. Our tendency is we want to verbally rip them to shreds. That's what we want to do. But Paul says, hey, don't do that. Answer in a very gentle fashion. Because no matter how many lies they tell about you, no matter matter how many ugly accusations they make against you, we are to love them and we are to forgive them. Amen. Paul goes on to say here, when we are persecuted, we endure it. If Paul were talking to you today, one of the things he would tell our generation today, don't think for one minute you're going to avoid persecution. He said, I didn't avoid it, and neither will you. 
Notice what Paul says here. He's pretty blunt. He says, up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, you know, if you want to go into the ministry because you want to be socially popular, I would tell you today, don't go into ministry. You're not always going to be popular in the ministry, and especially if you preach the way God wants you to preach. Amen. On one of the other editions that I teach in, on Sunshine USA, that's what I call the Old Testament side of Sunshine USA. Uh, this morning I was doing a broadcast talking about Jeremiah. And at one point, the king of Jer uh, the king of Judah has Jeremiah thrown into prison. You know why? He has Jeremiah thrown into prison because he does not like the way Jeremiah is preaching. And because he doesn't like the way Jeremiah is preaching, he has Jeremiah thrown into the prison. And now Paul is getting ready to give us a fatherly warning. He says, I am not writing this to shame you, but warn you, as my beloved children, even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, you know, um, that is a very powerful statement that right there. He says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, Paul had to be pretty confident that he was living exactly and precisely as Christ wanted him to live for him to make a statement like that. He said, that is why I've sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which is exactly what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord is willing. Now notice he says here, if the Lord is willing. Now I've said this many times before, and I'm sure I'll say it many times yet to come. You and I, when we make our plans, when we decide where we're going to be traveling, where we're going to be going, what we're going to be doing, we should always preface that by saying, if the Lord is willing, that is what I'm going to do. Now, I'm the kind of person, when I go to bed at night, and typically I'm going to go to bed about 10, 30, 11 o'clock most nights. Sometimes I'll listen to a little Christian music or some Bible preaching as I get ready to go to sleep. And I'll be thinking about what I want to do the next day. And I'm thinking, okay, now tomorrow I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, if 
if the Lord be willing. And a lot of times it works out exactly like I planned it. Sometimes things come up that I didn't foresee and things might not happen exactly the way I planned it to. But we should always remind ourselves that we should always make our plans subject to the Lord's will. And then I will find out not only what those arrogant people are saying, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Which do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love with a gentle spirit? <laughs> now Paul indicates to the church at Corinth, this is really up to you. Now, let me just let you in on something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is going to bring a matter to their attention that he doesn't enjoy bringing to their attention, and they probably don't like him bringing it to their attention, but it has to be said. So I think when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's going to seem like he's coming to them more with a rod as opposed to love and with a gentle spirit. But he understands that just as God is both a God of judgment and a God of love, that also has to be the way that our preaching is. We have to have a sense of judgment in our preaching, but also a spirit of gentle love. And that, by the way, brings us to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And that clears the way for us to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on the very next program. Now, one of the things I want to do on the program at least one more time this evening, I've done it earlier this week, I think it was just last night as a matter of fact, I want to take time to respond to a few of the listener questions. As you know, one of the things I do, I give you a, I give you a, um, um, email address. In fact, I give you really two email addresses that you could contact me at to um, send me prayer requests and Bible study questions. Now, I think last time we focused more on the questions. This time we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the prayer request. Here we have a prayer request from a listener who is facing final exams this week. We want to pray for them as a study and prepare for these finals. Now, do understand that when you're taking uh, final exams, uh, the correct way to pray on that is this. Lord, bring to my remembrance that which I have studied. Lord, bring to my remembrance that which I have studied. Now, of course, if you haven't studied anything, then, of course, you have no right to ask God to help you to remember it. You really have no right to pray and ask God to help you pass an exam that you didn't care enough about to study for. Amen? So, do your part 
study and study hard. Now, that might mean you're going to have to give up some of your favorite TV shows. It means some of your recreational life is going to have to be cut back. Probably some of your social life is going to have to be cut back, and you study. And then you say, Lord, bring to my mind, bring to my mind that which I have studied. And you will be amazing how effective that is. Amen? Amen. Now, here we have a prayer request from a young man that is getting ready to graduate from seminary, and he's looking for his first church. And in his email here, he has a number of things that he's looking for in his first church. He wants at least a few hundred members. He wants a certain amount of salary. Now, he actually lists a dollar amount here, which I won't give. But these are the things he wants to find in his first church. Now, in privately responding to this person, I've let him know that, uh, the first of all, you have to understand, uh, your first church is probably going to be different than what you expect. Like one of my professors told me in the class that I was in, uh, he said, your first church will probably have 30 or 40 members. Their budget will be very limited. You will probably be the only paid staff member. And so naturally, because of that, people in the church are going to be looking to you to do things. Amen? Amen. They're going to expect you to do it. Because after all, you're the one getting paid to do it. Amen? And, and that much is certainly true. Now, of course... The fact of the matter is, every Christian has a responsibility to do work in the church, not just the pastor. But I can agree that since the pastor does receive a salary for doing that, he ought to do as much as he can on his own himself. But members need to make sure that they're doing their part as well. Now, one of the things that a pastor always does good if he does what he's supposed to be doing is he wants to train and motivate church members to see what needs to be done and for them to do it without necessarily being told to do it. That would be the ideal situation. Unfortunately, we have many church pastors today that are working themselves to the bone, some of them even to the point where they're thinking about leaving the ministry. And it's all because we have church members that are not willing to do enough work themselves. So that's something to think about. Amen? Amen. But I do want this person to know that when you get that first church, don't use that church as a stepping stone to something better, you get in that first church and you work earnestly and you work hard. You work like you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Amen. And if you do a good job, I believe the Lord will promote you to something more. But if you don't do a good job, don't expect God to promote you to something more. Because you will be showing him you can't even handle what he's already given you to do. Amen? Amen. Okay, now here we have 
a couple that wants us to pray for their marriage. And I, I know that we have a lot of couples listening to Sunshine USA who are going through marital difficulties. And all I can say there is we're praying for each of these couples. And it's tough. It really is. But there's no problem too great or too small for God to handle. Now, I'm going to say something here that might shock some people. Not every marriage can be saved. In fact, sometimes couples that come to me for advice, I, I will actually tell them that. I will say, you know what? Not every marriage can be saved. And furthermore, I'm not personally convinced every marriage should be saved. Some marriages are so prone to violence that it's probably good for both parties for the marriage not to continue. Sometimes you're in a situation where both sides have to admit that they made a mistake and simply ask God to forgive them and move on with their life. Now, in that area, I'm giving you some very blunt advice that not every preacher will give you. Some preachers will lead you to believe that every marriage has to be saved. No, every marriage is not going to be saved, and every, every marriage shouldn't be saved. I heard one time about a preacher that uh, had a woman in his congregation come up to him and say, Preacher, I want you to be praying for me. I had to make a very difficult decision the day I left my husband. And the preacher was flabbergasted. He said, you can't do that. You've got to go back home to your husband. The Bible says you cannot leave your husband. Well, she wasn't sure that she believed the pastor, but after all, the pastor told her she had to go back home to her husband. And so guess what? She went back home to her husband, and 24 hours later, she was killed by her husband. And you see, the sad truth of the matter is that pastor had to spend the rest of his life, the rest of his life, regretting that he ever gave that advice to that woman. He realized had he not told the woman to do that, she might still be alive today. As I say, not every marriage can be saved. Not every marriage should be saved. But I think it's also a teaching opportunity to let today's young people know that marriage is a serious thing and it's something that you ought to think about much more carefully than many people do. I mean, I'll just be honest with you about that. I know what I'm talking about here. Okay, now, um, here we have a listener who um, wants to know how to find out what church or denomination some of these TV preachers are affiliated with. Well, let me tell you, that is a little bit difficult to do. There are some preachers where I myself wanted to know what church or denomination they were affiliated with, and I could not locate that information. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm very leery I am very leery about any preacher 
who refuses to divulge what church or denomination he belongs to. I personally believe if you're in the television, radio, or internet ministry, you have an obligation to your listeners to let them know what church and denomination you are a member of. I think you have a right to do that. In fact, I will not send financial support of any kind to a minister until I do know what kind of church or denomination they're a part of. I mean, that's just me. And so if you want to make that your policy as well, I say go help yourself. I think it's a pretty good policy. But hopefully that answers your question there. It's not always easy. Sometimes you can Google it and get the information. And sometimes you could look up different websites and maybe get the information. But a lot of times if the TV preacher really doesn't want you to know what church or denomination he's a part of, then it's really hard to find out. Now, I don't, I don't shy away from that. I don't have any trouble telling people that I'm Southern Baptist. I belong to San Susie Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. Lenny Miller is my pastor. And so I have just given you information about myself that many TV and radio preachers today are not giving you. I just did. And I am leery of any preacher that won't do that. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I'm very leery about any preacher who, for whatever reason, won't do that. Okay? So hopefully that answers your question. Um, Here's somebody wants me to pray that their sinuses will be healed, and I could certainly relate to that. I have had a sinus infection in my head, and it's affecting my ears to the point that, well, I don't have the best hearing anyway, but my sinus congestion, I believe, is causing my hearing to be even worse than it usually is. Amen? Amen. But I can certainly say to this person, I can sympathize with you, and I, I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll pray for your sinus problems if you'll pray for my sinus problems. Somehow it seems like it's been so much worse this year than before. And I'll be honest with you, summer... Believe it or not, is not my favorite time of the year. Summer is not my favorite time of the year. There's a lot of times of the year that I like a lot better than summer. Amen. <laughs> but I want you to know summer is not my favorite time of the year because it's hot, it's humid, I get sweaty, I don't like it. In fact, I have been known to hold special prayer meetings in the summertime for cooler than normal weather. And it's amazing how many times the Lord answers that prayer request. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, in fact, here in Greenville, South Carolina, now today it wasn't too bad. We had a high today in the 70s, upper 70s, near 80. And I understand that by the end of the week, just a week from now, we're probably going to have highs around 90 or 92 degrees. Amazing. I can't believe it. And just to let you in on it, I don't like weather that hot. Now, I suppose by late July, early August, 
when we're experiencing some of our hottest temperatures of the summer, 90, 92 degrees will seem like a cool front. Amen? Amen. But next week, it's going to feel like the Sahara Desert. Amen. Well, there you have it. Only in this case, it would feel like the Sahara Desert with a lot of dryness instead of humidity. Or a lot of humidity instead of dryness. I think that's what I wanted to say. But uh, hopefully that addresses that prayer request. But we do want to pray for you. Uh, here we have someone that wants us to pray for their church that is looking for a pastor. And they want a pastor who's going to take a strong and courageous stand for the Lord, a pastor who, as they put it, is not a compromiser. Amen. And I tell you what, folks, sometimes, you know, pastors like that are harder to find than you think. But I would say tonight, any church that's out there looking for a pastor, let me tell you, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you that God will lead you to just the right man. And right now, if you're a church without a pastor, let me tell you, I think God's already got someone picked out for you. It's just a matter of you strategically looking for that right person. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is really, really good. <laughs> but it's a big decision. And by the way, I believe in the autonomy of the local church. I believe each local congregation should be free to select their own pastor, their own preacher, without outside interference from outside the church. I just believe that with all of my heart. Here's a prayer request, someone wanting us to pray for an elderly father that's in the hospital. Here's another prayer request. Someone wants us to pray for someone that's in the hospital with COVID-19. We certainly want to remember this person. You know, it's great to see all these mask ordinances being relaxed across the country. And I'm so grateful that we are seemingly seeing great success with the vaccines. But we must remember we haven't gotten rid of COVID-19 yet. It's still out there. And it's still a threat. We must understand that. And so if you haven't gotten your vaccination... As a preacher of the gospel, I urge you to go ahead and get vaccinated. Do it for yourself and do it for others. Amen? Do it for your country. Do it for your neighbors. Do it for your co-workers. Get vaccinated. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But we do want to remember this person who is sick in the hospital with COVID. We want to pray for the hospital workers, doctors, nurses, lab technicians that have been working so tirelessly during this past year trying to battle COVID-19 on the front lines. And it's not been an easy job. You know that. I know that. It's been a very hard and difficult job. But we must carry on. We must keep the work of the Lord going on. 
And we also got to pray for these healthcare workers that they'll keep their work going on. I am so grateful for the work that they do. These days, it's very rare that I go a week without visiting one doctor of a kind or another. And so I'm very grateful for the knowledge that the Lord has blessed them with. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Dear Lord, we just want to pray that you will be with all of these prayer requests mentioned here. Lord, I want to pray that you will be with those that listen to this podcast. I pray, Lord, that you will reach out to whatever need they have. Lord, we have listeners that need physical healing. Lord, we have listeners that need a financial blessing. Lord, we have listeners with marriages that are in trouble. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for the fact that nothing is beyond your reach. Lord, we know that you could do anything and everything. And Lord, we just pray that as Christians we will put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, we know that you're able to do so much more than we ever thought possible. And Lord, when we consider all that you have done for us, we want to pray that we will thank you for all that you've done. Because I know, Lord, a lot of times, I know for me especially, so many times you do nice and wonderful things for me and I forget to thank you. And I thank you, Lord. Help all of us as Christians to be thankful and grateful for what you have done for them. Lord, I pray that each of us as Christians will be more than willing to do our part to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's all these things we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? (laughs) Hey, I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.